We've been in this series of prayer, and it's, I've been loving it. Y'all, I don't know about you, I've been loving it, and, and uh, man, it's just been slowly changing me, and I'm praying, I pray that, that really it's moving you from duty to delight, uh, because I'm definitely moving that direction. I'm not where I want to be, but it's definitely moving that direction, and so I pray the same for you, uh, that each and every time you enter into prayer, it gets sweeter and sweeter, and so I, I hope that there's a call to come a bid to come to God's presence. I know that sometimes it's hard in the mornings. And listen, it's okay if you don't wake up one morning and just miss it. You know, and you're like, oh, man, I really wanted to be there and you missed it. Sometimes you need rest. The Lord says, I give my beloved rest. And so sometimes it's okay. I say that because I'm just consoling myself right now. <laughs> uh, go with the journey, Right. So, so this week is Thanksgiving, 400, almost 401 years ago, I guess, really. Uh, we had the first pilgrims that came here. And as they came here, they, many of you know the stories. They went through storms and starvation and sickness and disease and death. And, uh, and after they went through all of that, we see they came to a place where they, they gave thanks unto God. Which is kind of funny because the contrast is very real. Why would we give thanks to God? We just went through storms and and, uh, sicknesses and starvation. And the ones that we love are not even here to celebrate with us. Yet, shall I praise him? The heart of gratitude is a difficult thing to have. It's not an easy thing. It's not something we read in a book. We understand. We process it. And then we exercise it. It's not that. A heart of gratitude has to come from a real change. You can't fake that. You can't fake gratitude. You can fake everything else, but you can't fake gratitude. And so when we're looking at having a heart of gratitude before God that says, Father, I may not have, or you may not have, but it makes no difference. I'm going to worship you anyway. I'm going to pray and believe in confidence anyway, despite my situation or my consequence or my past life. I'm thankful for all he's done, David. No doubt, verses this in Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is re?" New like the eagles, the Lord's work, works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. Mm. And he remembers that we are but dust. Wow, I don't know about you, but that's important to me. 
Because there's some things in life, I'm like, Lord, do you know who I am? And he says, Scott, yes, I know your frame. I built that thing. I built it. I know what you can handle. But I also remember that you're just dust. And that you don't understand and comprehend the things that I, that I comprehend. The things that I do. So imagine if you and I fail to understand these heart of giving thanks. What, what would it like, be like for us if we were unable to praise a God who is worthy in all things? In fact, I, I begin to work with that Romans eight twenty eight scripture that says he is able to work all things together for the good of those who, are, who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and I thought, man, if God is able to work all things together for our good, shouldn't we be a people who worship him in all things for his glory? And that's a hard thing to do. I don't know about you, but I've been in some places where it's been really difficult for me to say all things, all things for his glory. I feel like the testimony that signifies God can truly work all things is found in a people who worship him through all things. So if I can just, if I can just challenge you this morning, if we can just get off on a good foot. And let me ask you, have you worshiped him in all things? Have you worshipped him in all things? Those things that you laid at night awake and you cried and you pleaded and you didn't understand. You didn't get your answer. You went back to the scripture over and over and over again and there was consistent disappointment in your life. Did you worship him in those things? Those things are hard to do. So before we begin this morning, I want to challenge us in asking ourselves if we, have, if we would have been faithful or, or, or as, as thankful as the first pilgrims um, in the face of our calamities, would we worship God? Would we do that? I, I, I want to say yes, uh, but there's been some times that I, I didn't act that way. And so this morning, I want to give you four reasons for a grateful heart. They are this. First off, you should know to have a grateful heart. You need to understand that God's plans are immutable, which means they are unalterable and unchanging. They do not change. They are like him. His plans are the extension of himself. Really, it's not true. His plans are himself because he does not do anything outside of his character. So therefore, his plans are just as unchangeable as he is. That means simply God has no plan B. No plan B. God has not that at all. He understands through it all. He also has his purpose, and his purpose is also immutable. That means God uses all things to fulfill his purpose. He is not worried about what you bring to him. He can use it because his purpose is immutable. God's promises are also immutable. And when God gives you a promise, you should know that it does not change. What God promises, he will perform. And God's providence is immutable. That means God's timing and God's outcome are as perfect as he is. Even when our timing and our foreseeable outcome is not on the same page as the exalted one, I want you to know that, that his providence, his timing, and his outcome are as perfect as he is. And so this morning, let's talk about a few things to get through there. I want you to understand, first off, is that God's God's plans, God's plans are immutable. When I think about his plans, I have to go back to the very beginning. Is that if God's 
plan is immutable. Let's go back to Adam, God. If you don't change your plans, what did you do when Adam came around? Adam was perfect in all ways, and, and there was nothing he was lacking. I, I want you to understand this because it's very helpful if you're a parent. Because you have to know that God had a son that he created called Adam. And, and he created Adam who was the original son of God. And don't, don't, I'm, I'm talking about in, in creation, not, not the son of God in Christ. But Adam himself was perfect. And he himself knew God personally. He had everything that he needed. There was no reason for Adam to ever fail. Yet Adam failed. Can I tell you, parent, this morning, let me just encourage you. If your child is far off, God could not guarantee Adam's salvation. How can you be better? So what I want you to understand this morning is that even though Adam failed, Adam was still plan A. He was still plan A. Even though he had the, the, the failures there, God didn't scramble. He didn't say to Jesus, you got to go down there and fix that. He didn't say that at all. He didn't adapt to an unforeseen uh, failure. Scripture says no. He knew exactly what the plan was. He had already scripted it in um, uh, in time. It says in Romans 5.14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type. You should underline type. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was a type of Jesus. He was a pattern. He was a shadow. He was not the reality of who was to come. If I, if I had a flashlight, I could put it on my hand. And I would, sh- as a matter of fact, there's one right here on the, on the stage. This is Adam and this is Christ. That Adam is only reflecting the reality of who Christ is. So even though Adam was perfect, he was not the true thing that was to come. Adam's only job was to reflect and to show us in Scripture who Jesus, Jesus was always the plan. Always the plan. And so we can look at that and know that the Lord is not worried about the things that we throw at him. He's not unmoved and thinking, oh, no, what do I do? In fact, we can look at Jesus. Jesus was also plan A. Jesus was not adapting to what man did. And all of the things that Jesus, that happened between Adam and Jesus also was depicting who Christ was. Every failure, every act of unrighteousness, every disobedience, every evil king, all those things were pointing to Jesus because he came to redeem those things. In fact, we see in Scripture, in Acts 2.23, it says this, that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The Lord is telling us this, is that I always knew I was going to have to redeem creation. And Jesus said of himself, he goes, you search, you search the scriptures, but all the scriptures reveal me. They point to me. So don't think that somewhere along the way that the plan got messed up because man was introduced. No. The Lord's plans are immutable. Psalms 33, 10 through 11 says this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Man also has a plan, but it doesn't mean nothing. Proverbs 19, 21 says this. Many are the plans in the mind of man but it is the purpose of the lord that will stand we see this at work in many lives in the bible that regardless of what man tried to do 
regardless of the governments and the kingdoms um, and the monarchies, it made no difference. Man's plans only exist to fulfill the purpose of God. Can I remind you of that when you vote? Is that man's plans only exist to fulfill the purpose of God. He stands unmoved. Unmoved. And this is not new to him anyway. So we see that God's plans are immutable, but also God's purposes are immutable. They do not change. Looking at the life of Joseph, I love Joseph. Joseph is one of those stories that you could just glean so much off of, but I'll, I'll save you uh, all of the, the extra uh, learning today and get down right to the point. If you don't know the story about Joseph, it's real fast. I could sum it up. He had some great dreams. He had some brothers who hated him because of those dreams. His brothers sold him into slavery. Because he was slowed into slavery, he was, uh, he was raised to the top uh, uh, in Egypt, and then he was lowered into the pit, back to the top again. None of his adversities were his own doing. He didn't deserve any of that, whether it be uh, excelling or being demoted to the pit. But when his brothers finally met up with him, he had a place and an opportunity to, to persecute them, to try them, to, to, uh, to get back, to be vengeful, and he did not. And his brothers repented and said, we're sorry that we caused you this evil. And he says, oh, no, you didn't cause me any evil at all. Genesis 50, 20 says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The root word of meant, I love this, simply means to weave. To weave. You meant to weave evil into my life, but the Lord said, uh-uh-uh, I'm going to weave that for you. It's good. Can I tell you that your life is a tapestry? And everything that the Lord sees in your life, whether you brought the evil upon yourself or it was imposed on you by man, can I tell you the Lord will snatch that weaving device? What, what do you call that thing? A needle? Is that what it is? I'm from the city. I don't know. So he's weaving. He's weaving. And whether it's your sin or someone else's sin against you, I'm thankful that I serve a God who is able to weave all things for my good. Man, I love that. Not only that, but he, he, he weaved it not just for my good, but for somebody else's good as well. He said his purpose was that many people should be kept alive. I thought, wow, Joseph went to the pit. So that the promise of God could be held. Can I, just, can I just remind you of something you may not know? That maybe the pit in your life that the Lord is going to take and weave into your life for your good and his glory is actually the pathway for somebody else's promise to be filled in their life. Perhaps you're going through the pit so God can fulfill a promise in somebody else's life. And we step back and judge God and say, Lord, why would you allow this to happen to me? I don't deserve that. The whole time not realizing there's a promise that he made. And he will not change until that promise is fulfilled. And he might just give you the glory of suffering for him. He might put you in the pit and raise you up. Or he might just bring you in the pit that you were put in by the evil forces of life. But he raises that up to declare his glory and fulfill his word. That is what he would do through you. An honor. An honor that he would choose us. He does the same and similar thing to the Hebrew children. You guys know the story. Nebuchadnezzar created an idol, a golden idol. He said, everyone had to bow down and worship this idol. 
and the three Hebrew children said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to worship the idol. We're not going to bow down to that idol. And as they refuse, they're looking at being thrown into this hot, fiery pit. And it's so hot that when they amp up the, uh, the heat, the men who are causing the, the heat to increase, they die as well. And so here I'm thinking if I am the, he, the three Hebrew children, I'm thinking to my life, Lord, I stood up for you, now stand up for me. I, I put my neck out there, Lord. I need you to extend your powerful hand. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Why wouldn't you do it? Lord, all these people are looking at me right now. This is a good time for you to declare your glory through my situation and my sufferings. I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, to glorify yourself, not me. That's what I would be saying. I'd be praying that really holy prayer about that time right then. It'd probably be more holier than that, you know. But here's what the children say. I, I think, man, I, I love this. I pray this is my heart as I mature in Christ. Daniel 3, 17 through 18 in the New Living Translation says this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Can I tell you that I feel like one of the most powerful three words in all of scripture is, but even if, but even if, when's the last time you come to God in prayer and you ask him and then you responded to him and said, but even if you don't hear me, but even if you don't know me, but even if you don't go before me, or even if you don't show yourself to me, I will worship you and I will make it clear to the rest of this world that my heart is thankful not just for what you've done, but for who you are and the fact that you've allowed me to experience even a small ounce of your holiness that I am thankful for. Even if you don't show up today. Even if you don't provide answers. Even if you don't heal me. Even if you don't put my marriage back. Even if you don't pay my bill. Even if you don't. I'm going to do my best to remain as steadfast towards you as you have been towards me. And notice this, is because they were so resolute, it says the king made a decree. Daniel 3.29 says this, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation or language that speaks against anything, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. That was the decree. I'm thinking, wow, your fire might produce somebody else's freedom. Your, what, what you're going through, somebody else is watching, and they're hoping that you'll stand up and say, I'm not going to bow, I'm going to carry on, I'm going to continue on. And they're looking at you saying, I pray that I'm like him. I hope that I have hope like that, that person. And your fire may free someone from their doubt and their fear and, and, and the consequences of their actions that feel like they'll never be heard by God, but they won't know those things until you can properly Suffer the fire yourself. And so you're fire in life. But you feel like you're all alone in and you, you're not being heard. And the Lord's not being faithful to you. He's not talked to you. He's not showed you. And he's not revealed himself to you. He's not answered you. And you still continue to, to, to hurt and battle. Maybe it's because 
He wants you in the fire because a fire always attracts a crowd. Did you ever stop and think for a second that the Lord is using you for other people? If he already has your heart, then he's using you, 99, to grab the one. There's somebody in the audience that's looking at you and saying, how can they go through a fire and not smell like smoke? I want to, I need to know that God. Nebuchadnezzar said, for there is no other God who is able to rescue this way. There was a revelation in him. And so our willingness to go through the fire and still yet have a heart of gratitude that says, even if he doesn't answer us, I'll praise him anyway. Paul's perspective on this was the same. In Philippians 1.14, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They're looking at his suffering and saying, I, got, I can do it. I can do it. If Paul can do it, I can do it. We read in Scripture and says Paul was something different. We could never do that. But Paul was saying that I was strengthening people by my imprisonment. He reinforces his idea in Ephesians 5.20. He says, sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song, any excuse for a song to God, the Father in the name of our Master Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances. That word all is difficult. In all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What's God's will? All circumstances. All circumstances. That in those circumstances, we might be thankful and declare God's glory. But being thankful in all circumstances was something that the children of Israel failed to do. You see, God had also made a promise, and his prom- not only is his plan, his purpose immutable, but also his promise is immutable. When God makes a promise, he cannot change. He cannot lie. I love the concept they, they, of, of God's word. It's called the speak act theory, that if God speaks it, it's the same thing as him acting. He doesn't say something and then, and then goes and performs it. He says, let there be, and there is. And so when God makes a promise, he has acted instantly on that. He has set into motion those things that cannot be reversed. You guys know the story. There's 400 years of, of, uh, of exile, basically, of Israel into Egypt, and they're down there, and they face hard taskmasters and hardships, and, and finally God comes and shows up in a marvelous way, 10 plagues. He delivers them out of Pharaoh's hand. He leads them to the Red Sea. He causes the Red Sea to, ca- to, uh, to eliminate their enemies. They're free. They go three days in uh, from the Red Sea, and they find themselves not being able to drink anything. They finally arrive at uh, Marah, and Marah is a place of bitter waters, and they grumble, <laughs> and they grumble because they think, man, If we could be back in Egypt again, that Red Sea wasn't really good enough for us. Neither was the ten plagues that overcome all of Egypt. Now we have no water. Surely God is not possible. He cannot cannot change this water into something drinkable. We we, we forget what God has done. When when we we lack the ability to be grateful, we forget what he's done. And so from Mara, the bitter water, to the lack of food, Lord, you brought us out here to die. We, we have no meat. And then God brings quail. And then on the way to Rephidim, which is another place that they need to water, they were thirsty. And they were asking God, have you brought us out here to, 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 to die of thirst? But before they get to Rephidim, they, they make a, a, a small stop that really changes things for them. 
And this is where they begin to forget that God's promises are, uh, are sure. There are yes and amen when God promises something. Listen, I, I just feel in my spirit this morning, I need you to hear something. If he made a promise, he will fulfill it. I don't know what he said to you, but I just feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you, I will do that which I promised I will do. And you've been struggling, wondering, Lord, are you going to do it? Are you, are you, are you going to fulfill your? Yes, he will. He cannot. Can I tell you that you are not so special that you will be the first person in all of history to trip God up? You're not that special. God's not going to come to you and go, oh, I didn't think about this one. He's going to fulfill his word. He will fulfill his promise. But let's pay attention to Israel here because their heart was so um, need of gratitude that it caused them to miss something glorious. And in fact, here they are. They come and they say, uh, they send the spies. The spies come back with a report and they realize that this is a place that is, um, they'll die. <laughs> We're grasshoppers to them. And, and so they say, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. You better watch it. Your grumble is also a prayer. Be careful that the word, the Lord does not fulfill what you asked. He listened to demons and, and granted them their wish. He listened to the people, the Gentiles, or, who were, or the Jews who were not uh, abiding in God's word, doing the right thing. He granted them their wish. Why wouldn't he grant? And he, here he does the same thing. Whether we had died in the land of Egypt or whether we had died in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And from that place on is where they begin to circle those 40 years. And the very adults that said we must protect our children were the adults that stayed in the wilderness for 40 years, but their children went in. The reason why is because they grumbled and had disbelief. They had no heart of gratitude. They didn't look back and see what all that God had done and thanked him. They just had doubt. I think, wow. Romans 1.21 says this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Futile means worthless, empty thoughts. So notice this, is that this is where Israel is at. Failing to honor him as God is failing to trust him as God. And failing to thank him is to disregard any previous acts of faithfulness. It is important for you and I not just to praise God because he is a good God, but there also is a heart of gratitude that saves us from some things, but also reveals and gives us some things that we're not worthy of. Here's the thing, is that if they could have pushed through this small struggle of overcoming these giants in the land, they would have inherited the promised land. And many times, you and I, we have a grumbling heart and not a heart of gratitude, and therefore it costs us that we stay in our sufferings and never find salvation. There is something greater that the Lord wants to bring to you, but you're so stuck in this one aspect of your life 
Because he didn't justify himself. He didn't bring you what you wanted and you're stuck on that. That he didn't live up to what you thought God should be. And you denied yourself of the promise that he was going to give you. Let me flip this around. Let me show you how it's different. God's providence is immutable. Remember the story of the ten lepers? And God, he, Jesus, he came into the village and he saw these lepers and they cried out to him. Son of the Most High, have mercy on us. And, he's, and he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And ten went away. They were all cleansed from their leprosy. But one returned. And as he returned, he came praising and thanking God. And as he did... This Samaritan, by the way, I don't have time to get into that implication, but, but here he comes back to Jesus and, and, and thanks him, and he says, were there not ten that were healed, and yet only one returned? But notice what he says. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The word well in the Greek really means isozo. It means salvation. Your faith has made you saved. And so what we see here is a huge implication because what was he really thankful for? I think he was thankful for his healing. I think he was thankful that Christ was willing to heal him, although he was a a Samaritan. I think he was thankful for having his life being restored and being saved. But can I tell you that I feel like days, maybe weeks later, he looked back and realized, you know what? If I never was sick, I never would have met the Savior. If I never needed healing, I never would have met the healer. If my marriage was never broken, I never would have met the master. If I never had the addiction, I never would have known who Adonai is. And see, sometimes we look at our struggle in life and we say, Lord, this ain't fair. This ain't fair. And it just could be that the reason why you have what you have or gone through what you've gone through is it because the Lord has something greater to reveal about himself if you can trust his lack of answering you for the moment. See, God's providence, his timing, and his outcome is immutable, it's unchangeable. And so we have to be patient. We have to wait. And so a heart of gratitude positioned the leper to go from something superficial, which is healing, to something supernatural, which was salvation. So let me recap to you as the worship team comes up. For you to have a heart of gratitude, you need to wrestle with the fact that our life's pits may just pay someone else's promise, that Jesus endured the pit of hell for you so that you would experience the promise of heaven, that the fires we walk through just might mean freedom for others. Jesus walked through the fires of judgment so that you could experience the joy of freedom. And that regardless of what we go through in life, that our momentary afflictions are just the key to our eternal glory. And so I want to close with this this morning. I want to close with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37 and 38. Because as I read down through Hebrews chapter 11, what I see is just godly men and incredible testimonies and powerful moments throughout church history and Christian history. And and man, these are just the halls and the heroes of faith. And then we get down to this last little piece at the very bottom. We can't really identify with Moses and Joshua and Gideon and those guys, but, but down here we read verse 37. They were stoned 
They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You know, when I read that, I realized this, that God's not responsible for the American dream. <laughs> he could care less. He says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation. You will. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So this world will attempt to take everything from you, but the one thing it cannot take from you is the attitude of your heart. And so when we go to pray, we respond to God. Remember prayer, we're saying prayer is the response to our knowledge of God. And so as we go to God in prayer, my, my question to you is where is your heart of gratitude? Despite the setbacks, disappointments, all of the <laughs> unresolved requests that you've sent up to heaven, where is your heart? Is he still as good as the day he saved you? Is he still as faithful? Is his love still sure? And even if he disappoints you for the rest of this life here on earth, do you still sell yourself? Do you still tell him, I do, till, till death? Not do his part, <laughs> but make us like him. So this morning, just to remind you, in fact, let me just say this. Job said, Job said, we accept the good that God gives us. Shouldn't we also accept the bad? Through all this, Job's lips did not utter one sinful word. I thought, oh, God, give me a heart that does not allow me to sin against you and to not have a heart of gratitude. This morning, here's what I want to do. I know it's 1124. I'm sure you got places to be, but before we go, and we're going to sing one song of worship. And then here's how I want you to respond. With the heart of gratitude. Worship is your response to the predicaments and the disappointments of life that communicates to yourself, because you need to remind yourself, but also to God in this world, that you have confidence in Him. That despite what I go through, despite the hardships and the difficulties, my worship declares to the world and to my God that my confidence is in you. You can be silent for the rest of your life, Lord, but I still worship you anyway. So this morning, if you'll stand with me, we're going to worship. And I'm going to open the altars for prayer. You can come if you need to. But here's what I'm asking you to do. Prayer is not just right here at these altars. It's when you go home. Hopefully it's when you go home. And when you do, I'm praying, oh, I, I pray, I hope. I would, I, would, I would reason with you further if I could. That your heart is full of the gratitude of God. And that your life is poured out in expression of your praise and your thanksgiving. For all he's done and for all he is. Would you sing with us today?